0: Well, good morning, Scarlet City. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we are in between sermon series. Last week, we finished up Exodus, uh, which we had been working through for a a large chunk of this year. And next week, we are starting a, a new sequence of sermons called Legacy where we will be looking at uh, what are some of the things, what are some of the ways that Christians should be caring and investing in the world around us and the communities uh, around us and the legacies that we leave. But this morning, I want to uh, talk about our motivation for the life of faith. I thought this would be a fun uh, topic to sort of just jump in and out of for one week. It's not going to be connected to Exodus. It's not going to be connected to our legacy series But what we're going to be talking about is what is it that keeps us going as we walk through the challenges and injustices and death, disappointments, pain and loss of life? Why do we keep the faith? Why do we have hope? Christians are always talking about this idea of hope. But what is it that we are actually hoping in? What is our assessment of the culture and the people around us as we live in an imperfect and broken world? World. Ultimately, what do the future and the past have to do with the present life of faith? So let's look at our scripture this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I know it's written in two different ways in the bulletin, but it is 2 Corinthians. I apologize for that mistake. But we will be in... 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. So let me go ahead and read that for us as you are turning to it or pulling it up on your phone. Starting in verse 1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us, For this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as in guarantee. So, we are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So that whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is our scripture this morning. The Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to the Corinthian church, uh, comes about a year after 1 Corinthians was written. And Paul's theme throughout this entire letter is the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit of the Lord in the life of the believer and in the life of Paul and his ministry. There were opponents, right? There were people who disagreed with Paul, who challenged him and said that his suffering, the things that he had experienced, were too much. He had lived too difficult a life to have been a Spirit-filled apostle of Jesus. He didn't do enough naming and claiming. He didn't do uh, enough on material blessings. He didn't experience enough goodness and blessing in his life. Interesting. So, then in this letter, Paul then argues that for Christians, it is their weakness and their sufferings that are the very means by which every believer is comforted and how Christ makes himself known in this world. The pain and difficulty that Christians experience in this world identifies them with Jesus Christ who suffered on the cross. It is the enduring faith in the midst of suffering that reveal the power of the Spirit in their lives. Paul proclaims this, that through suffering, God reveals his glory. So as we look at these first four verses, looking at the first four verses of this passage, we're going to look at the present life of faith. What is the state of the present? Paul uses the imagery here in these first four verses of a tent describing the earthly home. Now, what do we know about tents, right? What do we know about camping, okay? I had to look this up on the internet because I don't camp, okay? I don't sleep in no tent. I like roofs, okay? I like electricity. If you look out front here, I'm wearing pink suede shoes, okay? Do you think Someone like me wants to go live out in the woods. Okay, who's into camping here? Who actually likes camping? Anyone? See, like everyone seems like, not everyone, but a lot of people seem like they're into camping. Now, I think you all are crazy, okay? I think you're wild, literally wild. You want to go out into the wild. I haven't slept in a tent for over eight years, okay? And I've said it before, I'm an avid indoorsman, okay? I like nature. I appreciate nature. It's beautiful, but this beard is just to throw you off the scent. I am not an outdoorsman. But if you think about the imagery of a tent, right, you think about a tent as temporary housing, okay? It's out in the elements. There's no air conditioning. There's no heating, no electricity. uh, There's no bed. There's no modern comforts in a tent. But a tent is shelter. Okay, if it's raining... It keeps you dry. Maybe, somebody, maybe a few of you wish that you had brought a tent to the Ohio State game yesterday. It's better than sleeping on the ground. It's better than sleeping in the wind. It's better than being in the elements. Now, Acts 18.3 tells us that Paul himself was a tent maker. Okay? That was his trade before he was uh, an apostle traveling all around the world being a missionary. He's saying if in his knowledge of tents he's saying that living in this world is like living in a tent it's not an eternal dwelling it doesn't have a foundation it constantly moves there's no consistency it's a portable shelter it's something that passes away something that doesn't last forever it's not home Paul is, Paul is saying that in this life, these bodies, this place, this world is not our ultimate home. For the Christian, the present life is like living in temporary tent housing. It's not the house. It's not the mansion. It's different. It's less than. It's difficult. People who like to go camping say, use the term roughing it, right? They use that Word for a reason, because outdoor living is rough, it's tough. It's not for the cream puff, it's hard to eat hot stuff. Might make you huff and puff, leave you feeling gruff. All right, I'm done. Shia LaBeouf. So, as Christians, okay, so as Christians, we go through life living in these spiritual tents. We're sheltered from the storm. But we aren't fully at home with God. The Spirit lives and moves within us, but we aren't completely and fully with the Lord. This body, this world, this life for the Christian is one of uh, being nomadic. It's insufficiently sheltered. So hold on to that for a moment because I want us to also look at uh, what Paul says specifically about the tented life. He uses the term groan. He talks about the idea of nakedness. He says, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. That's in verse 2. And in verse 4, he says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. And then in verses 3 and 4, we seek not to be naked or unclothed, but clothed and covered. This feeling of nakedness, of being underclothed, of being uncovered, exposed to the elements of this world and in our lives. This is what it's like to live in the tent. This is the tented life. We groan, we cry out in the face of pain and injustice and difficulty. We groan when we experience hardship and adversity in this life. Just recently I was talking to two friends about the idea of carrying the burden of all of the, the pain and the difficulty that happens in this world. You think of the physical devastation that comes in Hawaii and Puerto Rico and Houston, wrought by hurricanes and natural disasters. You think about the horrible, senseless killings that we've had recently in Jacksonville, Las Vegas, Orlando, and certainly more that aren't as widely reported on. We think of the ever-growing list of unarmed black men in this country killed by police and the stark racial inequality that that is experienced by many in this country. And those are just some of the things happening on a large scale. We carry the weight of many things in our own lives as well. I'm sure many people in this church this morning are dealing with things like struggling marriages, trying to get into the right school, financial distress, Wondering if we're going to find a spouse, wondering if we're going to be accepted, wondering if our brother and sister sitting in the exact same room sees us as equal humans made in the image of God, careers that didn't develop the way that we hoped they would, medical issues, diseases, cancer, mistreatment because of gender or race or sexual orientation, political views, financial capabilities. Many of you know the story of our first daughter, Noelle. Ashley and I were on a summer mission trip, and we came home, and the day after we came home, we had a doctor's appointment, and we went in there, and they said that they thought that they had seen some complications, and so they rushed us to the hospital, and Noelle was born 10 weeks early before she was due. She spent three months in the hospital before we were able to bring her home. And for a long time, uh, I Admit that we were kind of afraid to, to try to have uh, any more kids or grow our family. Early last year, we took a step of faith and uh, wanted to see what happened, and she did get pregnant, and we were filled with excitement, uh, but also fear uh, after what had happened the first time, and we trusted the Lord. And At the second appointment, a few months into it, we uh, went into the hospital, and then they said that they couldn't find a heartbeat for the baby. And that they were gone. And we were crushed. We were not strangers to this experience, to pregnancy complications, either uh, in our own personal experience or with close friends. But to put it bluntly or even crassly, we never thought that we would be miscarriage people. We never thought that that was going to happen to us. We hadn't prepared for that pain and for that loss to touch us in such a personal way. We didn't know if we should name the baby. We didn't know how to tell people what had happened. We had just recently been uh, sharing the news that uh, we were pregnant, and and for some people it was literally one day later that we had to tell them that we weren't, and we didn't know if, if we wanted to have kids ever again, and it became this thing that we cried out to the Lord about, asking him to take away this pain, asking him to bear this heavy weight because we didn't know how to be hopeful in that moment, how not to despair. And time passes, the weight lightens in some way, but you never forget certain things that happen in your life, what you've been through, the difficulty and pain of disappointment. These are some of the things that mark living life in the tent, things that hurt, things that we never forget, things that we often carry with us any friend or family member or, or church leader or counselor has ever told you that you should just get over it and stop worrying about it, stop dwelling it, dwelling on it, it means they don't understand that they haven't experienced something like that. It's just wrong. And there's other smaller things, right? Not everything has to be the, the biggest, uh, most difficult thing that we carry, right? Sometimes your car just won't start. Sometimes you lose your wallet. Your computer gets a virus. Okay, you have toothaches, hangnails. You grab the milk carton out of the, out of the refrigerator, and it's already empty. Someone put it back empty. It's usually me that puts it back empty. Your bus isn't running on time, right? You've got to park halfway across uh, campus, and you're just trying to get to work. You're a nurse, and you've got to wait like 20 minutes for the bus because they're doing so much construction at OSU. Someone told me about all of this recently. It sounds awful. These are the things that we carry with us, right? There's things that cause us to groan and to cry out and frustrate us, things that remind us of our nakedness, right, of our vulnerability, of our weakness. As we live life in this tent in the present, we experience the elements of a sinful and broken world. And we ourselves are even part of the problem. We ourselves mistreat others, We speak hurtful words to friends and family. We lie, cheat, we cut corners. We covet the gains of our friends, brothers and sisters. We worship things that aren't God. We build our own little empires because we think that those are going to be enough to satisfy us and fulfill us. This is what the tented life is. So what is it then that keeps us faithful in the present? Why do we even try to pursue God in the midst of this difficulty? Why would we want to? What keeps us going as we walk through the challenges of living in the tent? Let's look at verse 1. Paul in verse 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And he goes on in verses 2 and 3 saying that we are longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may be that we may not be found naked. Paul is saying this and I'm I'm here telling you this as well today that the tent is not all that there is in this life. The word tells us that there is a home That we have. There's a home that is safe, that is warm, that is peaceful, that is restful, that is comforting, that is eternal. This home is our true home. And even now, as we live in the tent, we do have this home. We have a place where we are part of a family and we can rest where we belong. Paul says, that at, at, says this at the end of verse 4 that what is mortal will be swallowed up by this life. What is mortal Mortal are the things that pass away, the things that die, the things that uh, have an ultimate end. There are things in this life that will end. In fact, most things in this life will come to an ultimate end, and that includes the pains and the struggles and the conditions that we live under. Heaven is different. Heaven is life. It's fulfillment. It's the ultimate experience that we were created for, being with God completely and fully in a way that we are not and cannot be in this life. All that is mortal will be swallowed up by this life, by this eternal life. Life will ultimately be all that we know. There will be no death. There will be no pain, no injustice, no suffering, no disappointment. We'll be surrounded by God's presence and glory. And we will live and work and rest in the wonder that is heaven brought to earth. This world which is mortal will ultimately pass away. There will be no mass murders in heaven, no incompetent bosses, no miscarriages, no cancer, no loneliness, no fear, no jealousy, no stealing, no injustice, no pain think about this. Do you remember when you were in school? I'm thinking more like elementary school. I know a lot of people are still in school. But do you remember the difference between going to school in the fall and going to school in the spring? When it's it's fall, you've got all the assignments. You've got the teachers getting after you. You're getting back into the rhythm. It's all kinds of work and tests and assignments. It's hard. It's difficult. But once May hits, okay, once May hits, yeah, there's still stuff to do, right? Maybe you got to take finals. Maybe you got to uh, uh, have end-of-the-year assignments, right? But summer vacation is coming. Your entire attitude changed because you knew that you were getting close to the ultimate rest. It would last forever. <laughs> What's the date? It's like right at the beginning of September. Everybody's back into it. Or think about this, right? Think about when you have time off of work, okay? Think about that week right before vacation. Okay, you can, get, you can get through anything during that week before vacation, okay? The frustrating boss, the coworker that puts tuna in the microwave, you can get through anything the week before vacation. Because whatever happens next week, you're not coming in, Okay? And I argue this. I think a lot of people disagree with me, but I actually argue that I think the best part of vacation is like right before the vacation starts because that vacation is still filled with hope and possibilities. Anything can happen, okay? But as soon as that vacation starts, you start counting down the days till you have to go back into the real world. This is what we're talking about. I'm talking about the idea that, that when you have knowledge that something good is coming that a change of pace is coming. That's where hope often comes from. Hope comes from believing that it won't always be like this. What's true, won't always, what's true now won't always be true. And this is the hope that we look to. We know that it will be someday in the future that we will live in a sweet reality that is no longer our current reality. And it remains our hope. It remains what we hold on to in this life. We can rest confidently knowing that it will come to pass. We will be free. We will be at peace. We will be at home once and for all. But until then, until then, we live in the tension. We live in the now. We live in the waiting, the present, the hoping. This is the same world that we described earlier, a mortal world, a world that is passing away, but still bites back, still kicks and screams, still causes us to groan and cry out. This vision of heaven, of being with the Lord completely, this isn't the only thing that gives us hope. We walk through this life now believing that we will end up in our home, but nonetheless, we are still living in the tent right now in the present. It's not only the future, it's not only this vision of the future of heaven, of a new home that gives us hope, but it's also the past. What has already happened in the past can also give us hope to be encouraged and remain faithful in the present. It's not just enough to know that it will all eventually be over. It's not enough to be told that eventually heaven will come. It is a beautiful vision, yes. And it's true, and it's a source of hope. But tell me about right now. Tell me how I get through today. How do I know that I'm going to be okay today? Let's read what Paul has to say in verses 5 through 8. Starting in verse 5, he says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul reminds us that God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And because of this, we walk through this tent life with good courage, because even though we are away from the Lord, In that we are not yet with him in full, we walk by faith, not by sight, knowing what will be true because the Spirit has given us a guarantee. We are of good courage because of what God has already done in the past. The only way that we are able to have faith is because of the work of the Spirit within us. And what is true is this, the vision that we get from the Spirit is a vision of the future, of being home with God, of being out of the tent, of being finally at home where we belong. It has been purchased for us. The Spirit guarantees to us that this has already been done in the past. It has been purchased in the past that the life and death and resurrection of Christ has purchased this for us. What it is that we look to in faith is that Jesus is who he said he was and he did what only he Could do. We have faith that Jesus bore every sin and pain and suffering that we have experienced on our behalf. He purchased that vision of eternity, of being at home with the Lord, of belonging. He purchased it when he went to the cross unjustly as an innocent. Jesus bore our sins. Those of us who are beat down and weary of living. In this world, he bore our sins on the cross, and we don't even deserve it. We don't deserve to have life in Christ because we ourselves are sinners, imperfect, broken, selfish, judgmental, greedy, uncaring. The same world that we complain about how difficult it is to live in, we ourselves contribute to the brokenness. We are part of what makes the world so awful and difficult. We might not be the ones who pull the trigger, who enact these unjust laws, but we sin in the same way before a righteous and holy God. The salvation that he freely offers to us by faith, those of us who are undeserving, is secured by Christ's suffering and dying unjustly. He bears the sins of of an undeserving and unjust people. While we were undeserving, Christ died for us. And that's what makes this vision of heaven so beautiful because we are weary. We are tired of living in this world. We are tired of being mistreated, of being underappreciated, of being undervalued as beings made in the image of God. We're tired of living under these laws and systems that keep us from experiencing true joy and success. And we ourselves are part of what messed everything up. It's not everyone else's fault. And he did, Jesus Christ did what we never could do. He fulfilled the words of Isaiah 53 for us when it says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And he did all of this in the past. It's already been Done. 2,000 years, years ago, an Arab Jewish man from the Middle East who was fully God, and fully man, suffered and died on a cross, and three days later, he rose again out of the grave, and hundreds saw him, testified to his resurrection, proving that he has power over death and victory over the grave in this life. That is the salvation that Jesus purchased for those who believe in him in the past. And what was done in the past was a delivery of the resurrected power that we need to walk in faith in this life, as well as the down payment of what is to come. So we are of good courage, Paul says, as we wait. We take courage not only in our own strength, but in the strength that the Spirit provides us. It is the example of Jesus that we hold to, that we cling to when this life has us down in the worst ways. And it doesn't mean that we roll over. It doesn't mean that we give in. Sometimes it's the example uh, of Jesus that motivates us to fight back, to resist, to push back, to demand that people are treated equally and justly. It's the reason that we still hate death. It's the reason we cry out to the Lord when we're in pain. When we see another news story about what is wrong with this world, we clutch our fists in anger. We wish for it to be better. But we don't give up. We never give up. We continue to fight. We continue in faith in the midst of this pain and difficulty. But until then, until we meet him face to face, we wait. We walk in faith. We aim to be like Christ, not because it will merit our salvation, but because he has already purchased our salvation. And if you find yourself this morning for the first time longing for this home, recognizing that living in the tent is difficult and you want to be welcomed home by a loving God who wants to know you and wants you to know him, then I encourage you to wrestle with this idea of living a faith-based life, of believing in Jesus. You can talk to me, you can talk to anyone who's been a part of this church for a while. Come home, come home believe. Someday, what we believe in now, what we have faith in now, it won't be only by faith. It will be by sight. It will be by knowledge. It will be by experience and by understanding. This is the past, present, and future life of faith. I want to end this morning by reading 2 Corinthians 4, verses 14-14 through 18, this will serve as our closing prayer. Uh, So I encourage you to close your eyes as I read this. The band and and Andrew can come back up uh, as I begin to read this. But just close your eyes and dwell on these words as I read them as our closing prayer. From 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 18. Knowing day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen.